Well, we've come to the climax of the section in Leviticus dealing specifically with sin. Leviticus chapter 16, perhaps, if you're a chapter buff, chapter content buff, you recognize this as the Yom Kippur chapter, the Day of Atonement. The climax of Israel's festivals and Israel's year. The sin offerings were being sacrificed day after 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 day. Recognizing that they sinned daily and they, they sinned often. And we daily and throughout each day need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to be confessing our sins on a regular basis. First John chapter 1, if we confess, it's present tense. It's not like my old habit as a uh, religious pagan to wait until Saturday afternoon to confess my sins, which I often didn't confess. I invented things that weren't sins or that I hadn't committed that were more supposedly uh, uh, less, I should I say, more respectable sins than my defiling sins. But, only once a year, the Israelites were to have a Day of Atonement. See the picture right away. They looked forward to one time a year that all their sins that were being confessed and by the picture of the blood being shed, forgiven, they looked to one event for it to be a finality. And what a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ of Calvary. All those years of sin and sacrifice, what some 4,000 years, and they were looking forward to the real antitype Day of Atonement, which is Mount Calvary, at Mount Calvary. That was our Day of Atonement. And you and I look back, and we continue to commit sins, but we look back and say, Jesus died for sins past, present, and future. And that one spot, that one moment, when John was saying, to the, and when he proclaimed vociferously, Behold the Lamb of God. No doubt those religious and godly Jews thought about the Day of Atonement. Thought about, here's the reality of all those shadows that is in our midst. Here is the final Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And this is the occasion in Leviticus chapter 16. It was the only day that they were commanded to fast on this particular day, which is translation, the understanding of they were to afflict themselves. Fasting is still for today, but it's not commanded on a particular day. The believer should be fasting certainly from time to time, if not more often than not, to afflict ourselves that God would draw near to us. We so often feel so lighthearted and so impenitent and so worldly. We need time with the Lord. Even, even if you take a meal once a week, 
to seek the Lord in that hour or two and just say, Oh God, I need to be hungry and thirsty for my, in my soul for you. So Leviticus chapter 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. So you see the, the poignancy of the moment. It was still in the, in, the, in the moments after when Aaron's oldest two sons were put to death by the Lord for their irreverence and self-centeredness, drew attention away from the Lord in worship, And we pay for that. God help us not to draw attention to ourselves, but to the Lord in our public and private worship. The Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. In other words, it's dangerous for even the high priest to dare enter into the holiest of all more than in this rare annual occasion. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus uh, thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat. And so he's now taking off the golden garments that sparkled in the sun. It's high priestly raiment, even with the, the breastplate. He took those off and just put on ordinary linen clothes. And he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle. And with the linen more mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats One lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat uh, on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall... Bring the bull of the sin offering which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the book and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is, be- that is for the people, 
and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullet and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. What sacred writings that we have heard this morning. Even the sanctuary needed to be cleansed, not because of anything of a divine reason, in the sense that unholy people were frequenting the tabernacle, and God is holy, and He wanted there always to be sacrifices in the main altar, and on this occasion, even to cleanse the sanctuary, because God is holy. And even the best of our worship is tainted. And we should pray, Lord, please purge me in my singing. Purge me in my praying. Purge me. Cleanse me in my preaching and teaching. In my living. But the occasion here I'm going to focus on is the Day of Atonement. Fifteen times in this chapter it says to make an atonement. To make an atonement. To make an atonement. The word is to cover. To cover. What is being covered here? And the, and the quick answer we might give is people are being covered. Sins are being covered. But may I say that what's being covered primarily is God. God's wrath is being covered. His wrath, His justice is being placated, propitiated. Those are are words we should know and understand. This is a picture of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did at Calvary for you and me. This is a picture of the Lamb of God being sacrificed to take away the sin of the world, of His people throughout the world. And we see several movements that we should see our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished and experienced. We see imputation of sin. Sin being transferred from the guilty to the innocent. We see propitiation, that is, calming God's wrath. The blood is sprinkled upon and down on the floor of the Holy of Holies. In other words, in a sense, the picture is that God is the God of earth and heaven and that, and that sinners on earth and sinners who are going to heaven need purging, need cleansing. God is the God of the universe. Not just the God of heaven, but the God of the earth as well. But this speaks of pacifying God. 
By sprinkling the blood, we're saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just like that, that publican. He wouldn't even lift up his head toward heaven. He smote himself on the breast. And he was saying, Oh God, be propitiated. That's the word. Be propitiated. Be pacified. I know you're angry with my sin. I deserve hell. But be calmed, Lord, by the blood of your Son. And it's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 12. When he writes, O Lord, thou wast angry with me, but thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me now. He said, you were angry with me, but now your anger is turned away. And it's turned away by the Son, where the wrath of God does not fall upon the sinner, but the wrath of God falls upon Jesus Christ. Oh, how he suffered. He suffered by the hands of many executioners. But the one executioner that was, that was greater and, and more painful and horrible than any others and terrible was the executioner who was divine. And then you see thirdly the movement of expiation. Not only, the first thing is God is satisfied. God's justice is met. Then, the sin can be removed from the camp altogether. Pictured in that second goat, they took that goat outside the camp into the vast wilderness. And the man left it out there. Yes, it's meant to, to grab our heartstrings. To take an innocent, spotless animal to leave that animal through the camp. They all knew the picture. It's my sin. He laid his hands upon the head of the goat for himself because he was a man. He pictured Christ, but Christ had no sins of his own at Calvary. The sins upon Christ at Calvary were my sins, and I hope your sins, I trust that you're trusting in the Lamb, in our household, in our church, and the congregation. A picture of expiation, the removal, the remedy, the forgiveness of sins. And then you see, I believe there is a, a picture, even a little picture. The resurrection is not pictured in the lamb and the goat leaving the camp. That's a picture of sin being removed. I believe there's a, a little picture of the resurrection here. Aaron goes back into the Holy of Holies. But before he comes out, he went in with just simple, ordinary white linen. An ordinary sinner. But a sinner represents someone who's been converted. His white raiment. We're, we're, we're pictured as... Believers in heaven are pictured as those who have linen clothes. Clothed in white linen. Ordinary but forgiven sinners. But Aaron changed. And after he made atonement, he came out with his golden garments on again. There's the resurrection. Jesus wore white linen when He went to Calvary. He became a sin offering for you and me. And they carried our Savior in His ordinary... Well, he was naked. 
He had no clothing whatsoever as they carried. They wrapped him in linen and laid him in a tomb. But when he came out, he came out in his golden raiments. The sun was sparkling as the Lord Jesus was walking from the tomb and as Jesus appeared to his disciples. The glory shone. And then the last movement is reconciliation. The people could go home and have a clear conscience. My sin's been dealt with. God now is favorable. We can go back home and and eat together and weep together because God is merciful and He is a God of forgiveness. This is the picture. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, it took place once a year. What does that say to you and me? Once. The term once. Hebrews tells us that Jesus once in the end of the world came to put away sins. Again, He once was offered. And then in 1 Peter, He once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. There was two words for once in the New Testament. One means once upon a time. It's just talking about once back there. Peter, Paul said, I was... I was uh, well, Peter talked about... Um, that sometime, he, uses, he translates the word sometime in 1 Peter 3, sometime the spirits in Noah's day were disobedient. He's talking about in the past. But there's also the word once for all. And Paul says, I was stoned once. Now, he's not saying I was stoned in the past, once upon a time. He's saying I was stoned once, not twice, not three times. And that's the word that the writer of Hebrews uses. Jesus didn't just die as true. He died once upon a time in the past. But what Scripture wants us to know, and God wants us to know, Jesus died once, not twice. He doesn't need to die every day, every Mass. It's an abomination to God. It's saying that Jesus lied when He said, It is finished. Rome is saying, He's not finished. We have to bring Him down from His throne. We have to offer Jesus over and over and over again. It's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus died once, not twice. And that's a beautiful picture of the Day of Atonement. God made it rare. Because He was pointing to the fact that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ would be rare. It would be unique. It would be once for all time. So on the Day of Atonement, we see like verse 21, Aaron laying both his hands upon the head of the live goat. And I think the the youngest child and the eldest person would have understood that picture. Transfer. Transfer of guilt. I lay, we we sang together, I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. If you're to be saved, your sins had to be transferred to Jesus. If you own your sins and your sins are not removed, if they're not under the blood, you're an unsaved sinner. You need to be saved. You need Christ, Jesus. You need to plead His blood and pray, Oh Lord, take my sins away. The picture is that our sins were transferred to Jesus. They were debited to His account. Imputed. That word is 
used. The, the idea is over and over again. He is imputed, he's debited with our sins. He was made a sin offering for us who knew no sin. He died for our sins. Were your sins applied to Jesus? Look to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God. The word is, look to Him. Like Spurgeon, when he was a lost soul, visiting a church in a a snowstorm and the preacher couldn't make it because of the weather, and a deacon did his best to stand. He wasn't a, a teaching or preaching deacon. He stood up and he just quoted Isaiah 45.22. Is it not? Look unto me and be saved. And Spurgeon was underneath, seated underneath the balcony. And the man had the courage and the boldness and the faith to say, Young man, you look miserable. If you obey my text, you'll have a clear conscience and a clean heart. Look unto me and be saved. Look away from yourself. Look away from your works. Look away from the church. Look to Jesus and you'll be saved. And Spurgeon said, I looked to Jesus. I looked to Jesus. Laid my sins on Jesus and was saved that day. Isn't that... Isn't that like the Lord? Nobody, nobody supposedly important can turn to himself. I led Spurgeon to the Lord. Some man that didn't want to preach, that was thrust into it. Wouldn't, isn't that like the Lord to use an ordinary person like you and me to point such an unordinary person how God used him? But you know, a man with such talent like that, do you know that his wife had to keep him together in order to preach? In the middle of the week, we would call him a manic, manic depressant today. He admitted that he was in absolute, in absolute valleys in the middle of the week. You see, the devil knew he had a red mark on his, on his back. But by Sunday morning, the Lord raised him up to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Maybe you have struggles in, 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 in ways along those struggles mentally or struggles physically. May God repair us and strengthen us and heal us. Jesus was imputed with our sins. On the Day of Atonement. That's when it took place. You say, when were my sins debited his account? Oh, brother and sister, see the man of sorrows hanging on the tree. At first, there seemed to be tranquility and joy as he's ministering to others. He's preaching the Gospel. He's saving sinners on the cross. There doesn't seem to be the darkness and the fear and the terror until we read that there was darkness over the land. There was darkness over the land and then a man who's asphyxiating who has hardly any ability to breathe. It says he cries out. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? There it is, brother and sister. My sins were laid upon him at that moment. 
Can you not say by faith, your sins were laid upon him? Oh, listener, do you not see that that's the day of atonement for our souls? Mount Calvary. I lay my sins on Jesus. Oh, how he suffered. Why did they nail him on Calvary's tree? Can you and I be in the shadow of Calvary and have no feeling whatsoever? Is it old news to us? Is not our heart moved again and again at Calvary? Do you see why the Lord wants us to have the Lord's Supper over and over again? We're forgetful. We're simply forgetful too. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't give us a sacrament for the resurrection. He gives us a sacrament for His death. That's where our sins were dealt with. On the Day of Atonement, we see propitiation. Jesus satisfied God's wrath and justice. Imputation of our sins. But once He's laden with our sins, how does God feel about that? Man, if if we see how serious, if we can't see how serious sin is that Jesus suffered, a sinless man, God unleashed, unleashed His utmost fury upon Christ at that moment. And there are people that think God will show them clemency if they dare to die without Christ. Are you kidding me? If God would punish Christ furiously for our sins, not His own, how will we dare face God at Judgment Day and say, you've got to be merciful to me? But you rejected my Son. You treated the blood of Christ spitefully. Oh man, it's hard for me to think five seconds about people that I've known that I'm convinced died without Christ. And what they're experiencing today makes me shudder. Oh friend, don't dare to die without Jesus. Don't dare to live without Jesus. Call upon Him now. He's forgiving. He's loving. The Father loves you already. There's a horrible doctrine that says that Jesus had to die to convince the Father to love us. That's a lie from hell. It's because the Father loved us that Jesus died. And so verses 12 to 17 give us the illustration of propitiation. The blood being sprinkled upon the mercy seat which pictured the Lord among His people, in the center of His people. And the law was inside the box, but there was a lid on top of it. He sprinkled the blood on the lid. What's the picture? You open the lid and the law says, death to the sinner. Condemnation, hell to the sinner. But the, the, the box had a lid on it. And it says the, the law is satisfied, the law is quieted. How is it quieted? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. The law says, death to you, liar. Death to you, luster. Death to you, idolater. 
to hell with the sinner who rejects Christ, but the blood says, I have suffered for him. I have suffered in his place. I have quieted the law. I have kept the law in his place. On the day of atonement, no one else was to dare be in the tabernacle but the high priest. Anybody who dared go in, into the, even the courtyard would have been struck down. It was dangerous, even for the high priest, not to minister lawfully. What does that teach? One mediator between God and man. One man was to be in that tabernacle that day at the Day of Atonement. And to sprinkle the blood seven times, it says. The number of God, the number of perfection. For himself, unlike Jesus, Aaron needed forgiveness. For his household and for all the congregation of Israel. That's the gospel of propitiation. Our sins were imputed, imputation. God's wrath fell upon Jesus. He shed His blood for our sins. All of God's fury fell upon Him for millions of those for whom Jesus would die. And thirdly, we see two-for-one picture here. The two goats. One of them pictured what I just said, propitiation. One goat, they cast lots for the goats. The, the lot, the fellow, the, the first lot was which goat would die. And so as they cast the lot, okay, this goat's dying. And so they kill the goat right there. Bring his blood into the hole. That's propitiation. We cover God's wrath first. God is satisfied first. Not the sinner first. God satisfied first. We, Christ died heavenward before He died earthward. So the blood's on the mercy seat and then on the floor. The mercy seat, Godward. The floor, manward. There's so many pictures here. And I, we wait for Jesus to teach us all these symbols and these meanings. But we can get some. And so, God is satisfied first. And then a man is chosen. He's called a fit man. The word means he's ready. He's been prepared. However he was chosen, was it by lot? Was it another way? We don't know. But a man was chosen to perhaps put a rope on the second goat. And what a picture again. He takes that goat and all the people are now, they're surrounding and there's, there are people that obviously have to get out of the way. Fathers and mothers and children, families, households. And they see this man. Maybe he was tall enough or everybody could see him walking through. He takes this goat past the two million people. How, how long did it take before he went through the ranks of the people? Half an hour? An hour? He's got to make his way past all those people. And where's he going? He's going into the howling wilderness where there are ravines, where the lightning falls, where the hideous predators scream in the evening, in the dark night. And 
however he's able to release that thing and perhaps the picture is that animal thinks it's free and he just runs from the fit man. I don't know if he's trying to come back. Again, you have to, your imagination, does he have to tie it to a tree because it wants to follow him? Does he push it over a little cliff? However, he walks away and he doesn't return with the, the goat, the scapegoat. It means the goat that escaped. The sin that escaped us. The sin that's been taken away as far as the east is from the west, so far as we removed our transgressions from us. And the man returns and the picture's there. And I wonder if the suspense continued as long as he was in the wilderness. How could you go back home when you got to see, is my sin removed or not? And so they're all waiting for him. And here he comes. There's no goat. He's alone. And the children are saying, where's the goat? Where'd he go? You can't leave that goat in the wilderness. That goat's domesticated. There are wolves. There are, there are vicious animals out there. There's danger. There are cliffs. There's lightning. You can't keep that goat out there. But son and daughter, that's a picture of our sin. We can't have our sin brought back to us. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He comes alone. And again, use your imagination, friend, brother and sister. That goat begins to cry. He hears the, he sees the, the, the darkness, darkness is, is, is coming down upon him and he, and he hears the beginning of the cries of these wild animals. And perhaps he is running from the animals. Maybe he breaks his rope and he's running and he's been chased. And perhaps one of those years, how that scapegoat died was a strike from God himself as he unleashed his fury and his lightning came down upon that goat. That's what you and I deserve. What is the feeling of the soul that says, or he is, depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire? Man, you and I are afraid of lightning. Have you ever had a close call with lightning? I was outside having baseball practice in Syracuse, and a man in another school was running in from the storm. And he happened to touch his spike on the rim of the, of the running track. And at the moment he touched his spike on the rim, lightning hit the rim. Killed instantly. That lamb, or that goat, never returned. Was dead by morning. All of our sins Jesus took away. He took my sins away. He cast our sins into the deepest sea. He was the fit man that took our sins into the world. He was the ready man. He was the prepared man. He was the, the man of God on the Day of Atonement. No other Savior 
but Jesus Christ. And now we see the resurrection when Adam, and picturing Jesus, comes out in his golden apparel. The disciples are, are, are mourning. They're devastated. Their Savior's dead. He's in the tomb. He's lifeless. Our hopes are dashed. But then she hears Mary. Mary. Rabbi. It's you. Behold my hands and my side. It is, it is me. It's me. Give me some fish. Give me some bread. Behold, Thomas, thrust your hand into my side. He's alive, brother and sister. He lives. Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. The gospel of the resurrection, there's a peak, there's a sneak peak here in this passage. And Jesus came to his disciples and what did he say? Peace be unto you. Three times, peace be unto you, we're told. Now, they could go home with a clear conscience. My sins are removed. God is satisfied. He's smiling upon the congregation. He's smiling upon our family. There is forgiveness with the Lord that He might be feared. There is the reverse of what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. The worshippers, once purged, had no more conscience of sins. Are your sins forgiven, friend? Are they under the blood of Jesus? Can you say that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Are you believing on Christ for your salvation? He is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. His blood can wash you white as snow even while we sit or stand here today. Jesus saves. And He saves forever. The Day of Atonement for the sinner who saved by grace was at Mount Calvary. Jesus died on the cross to save sinners like me and like you. Trust Him. Believe on Him. Lay your sins upon Him. He has the power to forgive and to save forever. Let us pray. Oh God, I thank Thee for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that saves hell-deserving sinners. Oh Lord, we need Him. If there's anyone this morning here that is lost, like a lost sheep, laden with sin and guilt, I thank Thee there's a solution to our sin and guilt. A remedy. And it's not the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and birds. We know they were just pictures of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We see Him by faith as we read Your Word. Oh, please, Show the power of the Gospel even in this room this morning. That some soul will have their sins lifted and removed and have a new heart implanted, a new mind, 
and even a new countenance, a new life, a new beginning. You said, if, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Oh, please, Lord, work. And for those of us who have been converted, forgive us where we have lost and left our first love, where we have become cold and worldly. Forgive our sins, Lord. Help us to walk humbly and gratefully with Thee. Please, let not the devil steal the seed that's been preached today. May it not be choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things. But I pray, Lord, that we would grow in grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, Your Son and our Lord. We pray this in His precious name.